Good morning again, everyone. Uh, you know, since we only gave Chris three minutes, one thing he forgot to mention is that if you did come prepared to give today, uh, we've got boxes as you're on your way out. We know a lot of you have, have transitioned to giving online. Uh, thank you for, for continuing to be faithful there. Well, as we start today, as we start our time together, I want you to think about the last time that you ate something that was just deliciously satisfying. I want you to think about that. Close your eyes if you have to. I want you to think about that meal that you love, that when you're done with it, you can still taste it in your mouth. You know, it just sits there right in your gut, and you are oh so satisfied. Uh, or maybe you're like me and it's not so much the savory things, but the sweet things. And the thing you think of like me is the 1100 calorie cheesecake factory cheesecake that you say you're not going to finish, but then you finish it anyway. And it just sits there. One of my favorite birthday presents to myself, to be clear, uh, was about 10 years ago, and I decided that I wanted to go to lunch with a friend, but by lunch, I just meant dessert. I wanted to go at lunchtime and just eat a Chili's Molten Lava Cake. This is the cake where you break into it, and then all the rest of it spills out onto the plate. And so I reached out to my friend and I told her that I wanted her to go to lunch with me, but really it was just dessert and no, I was not gonna share. And besides, what is that thing about how when you order a big dessert, they bring you two spoons? Like, certainly this is not just for you. And you're like, I don't need that extra spoon. Don't judge me. So I needed somebody who wasn't gonna judge me and uh, who I didn't have to share with. I did not need two spoons. So I want you to think about that because that feeling that we really love, that feeling of being satisfied and comfortable, it's kind of a priceless feeling, isn't it? And we get that feeling from really good food or sometimes we get it from like a day like this where it's kind of cold and wet and then we go inside and it's warm and dry and cozy. Or, or some of you get that feeling when you've been working out and then you take a hot shower and then you put comfortable clothes on. Whatever it is for you that gets you to that comfortable, satisfied place, I want you to think about how good that feels. We like it. And so it's no wonder that we arrange our, our days, our lives, our houses even to get more of that kind of feeling, right? And I think that we also arrange our spiritual experience to get more of that feeling too. I mean, let's take church, for example. We want to find a church where we like the music and we connect with the vibe and, and we feel fed when we go home and the people are nice. And these are all good things. You, you should definitely go to a church that you like because chances are you're not going to stay there very long if you actually don't like it. But I'm not suggesting that you go to one where none of those things are true. I'm just pointing out that we lean toward what is comfortable, and we like that. And it's what we're used to. And this kind of tendency, it shows up in all sorts of ways in our faith. Maybe when we're deciding about how to serve or, or how to volunteer, we're going to probably pick something that's not too inconvenient, that's not too much of a stretch. It fits in our schedule, right? Again, we're kind of just leaning toward finding personal satisfaction. Or, or maybe when it comes to giving financially to, to a ministry or a charity, we, we want to do something that's maybe a little 
to give. We're not going to have to sacrifice too much. Or, or even, even when we talk about our faith, we talk about our faith, we maybe change the way we talk about it based on who we're with so it keeps it less weird for us, right? We lean toward what's comfortable. I think we can agree in our spiritual experience, we move towards something that's not too far out of our comfort zone. Well, I've been thinking about that in terms of this series that we're in, The Great Heist. And as Chris said, looking at the forgeries in our faith that might be tricking us. And I wonder if this idea of being content and satisfied is an area where we have settled for a fake. I wonder if curating a, a spiritual experience that keeps us in our safe and, and comfortable, satisfied place is maybe not fully in alignment with Jesus. And, and maybe even it's causing us to miss out on something that he's wanting to do in us or, or, or do through us. Maybe, maybe the way that we've prioritized having a comfortable faith has actually caused us to slip a little bit into complacency because we've gotten quite happy with how we've arranged our faith where we don't have to be uncomfortable or stretched or redirected. But the price that we're paying to, to stay in that complacency is, is very often us missing God's invitation to join him in the messy places. So today what we're going to do in our time is we are going to look at two actions that will keep us out of complacency. These are two things that we see Jesus do in his life, and these same two things we hear him teach in his teaching to those who are following him about how to live out faith. And I, I want to encourage you as we talk about these to, to hold these two things up against your own life. Do they describe you? And if not, my hope is we can be asking ourselves, how can we step into a place where they more describe us? How can we step out of complacency and step into these ways where we can more authentically follow Jesus? So the first passage that we're going to start with is looking at Jesus in the first action. And the passage takes place in what we tend to refer to as Palm Sunday. This is the week leading up to Jesus' death. This is where he is entering the city of Jerusalem. Earlier in the passage that we're getting to, he had asked two of his disciples to go find a colt that he could ride on. So he was riding in. They threw down their cloaks. And then the people gathered around and they started saying, blessed is the king who comes in the the name of the Lord. There's another gospel account that says they got palm branches and they waved it. Are you picturing it? And when you do picture it, what you, what you imagine are people who are following Jesus and they are living out, they're acting out that they are receiving him, right? That they're declaring him as king. But what we see Jesus do in this passage we're going to look at, it does not seem to fit that vibe that we have in our head. Listen to this in Luke 19, starting at verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it 
And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And the days will come, Jerusalem, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I want you to look again at the beginning, and it says, he approached Jerusalem, and he saw the city, and he wept over it. And then he goes into all the things that he says about Jerusalem, and then he says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, this is just one of a small handful of times where we read in the Bible that Jesus is crying. And like I said, it doesn't really seem to to fit the celebration that we described. Remember, the people are shouting his praise, they're waving palm branches, and it makes us ask, why is Jesus reacting like this? Why does this make him weep? And we get the answer in what he says after that. I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to switch to a different translation of the Bible, because sometimes when we do that, it gives us a fresh perspective. So listen to that part again in the Living Bible. It says this. Jesus said, eternal peace was within your reach, and you turned it down. He wept, and now it's too late. Your enemies will pile up earth against you, your walls and your and against your walls and encircle you and close in on you, for you have rejected the opportunity that God offered you. So what we see Jesus revealing here is that Jerusalem was not recognizing what Jesus really came to do. And Jerusalem is the city where the temple is. And so really it represents the the center of Judaism. So really what he's doing is he's commenting on all of God's people that they are missing the true kingdom that he came to bring. And so he sits on that colt and he enters the city and you can hear the noise of Hosanna in the background And then you see Jesus mourning for the people who had missed it, who missed him. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In other words, he's saying, I, Jesus, I am making a way for reconciliation and equity and unity, and you are missing it. And he is overcome with sadness, and he weeps. Putting it real simply, he is mourning for how things could have been, for how things are supposed to be. And this is the first action that I want us to consider today. It is the action of mourning when we see realities that don't line up with God's redemptive work in the world. Giving room for sadness when we see places in the world that don't reflect God. Because we know that God has done everything to make a way for life and freedom and redemption. And yet we don't have to look very far, sometimes in our own home, to see where things are so far from how they could be. And so in this passage, we see Jesus stop and he grieves that thing. 
But we don't just see it in his action, like I said, because we hear it in his teaching. And in fact, earlier in his ministry, he said this, and this is in Matthew 5, verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So he's not only giving permission to mourn, but he's saying those who mourn are blessed. Did you know that tears are actually therapeutic? Uh, like, we know that tears have salt in them. We know this because somehow they get in our mouth. I don't know how that happens. But, but some more recent studies have shown that actually there are toxins in our tears that are getting washed out of our body, that our tears are literally healing. And so Jesus is teaching that mourning, that crying, expressing sadness, whatever that looks like, is very good for us, that it opens us up to blessing. It opens us up to God himself. See, when it says they will be comforted, there is this sense of it is God's spirit who is the one doing the comforting, that when we mourn, that we have a closeness with God that we might not otherwise have. The problem is crying is not fun, as we have already established here in this service, right? We don't want to cry because the things that make us cry are crummy. They're painful. They're yuck, right? We saw earlier in the video where an acting coach tried to teach a few of our pastors how to elicit that crying while they did this monologue. And the way that they had to do that was to pull up some real pain from themselves and try to let it come out. And nobody wants to do that. Crying, or at least the thing that brings on crying, is not fun. Some of you know my husband, Chris. Some of you who are actually friends with him, you might know this about Chris, that he is highly aware of how he feels. He is very, very good at communicating his emotions, much better than I am, much better than most people I know. But he doesn't really cry. Uh, the first time I ever saw him cry was when we had to put our bulldog to sleep. We had had this dog for five years, and by the time we found out she had cancer, it was way advanced. And so we decided to make Boo's last day like the best day ever. So we went to the park, and we flew kites, and we played with her, and we gave her a meatball sandwich, which she was never normally allowed to eat, right? And then we had to go to the vet and then say goodbye to her. And as we're standing there, and she's on the table, and I'm next to Chris, and suddenly he starts sniffling and, and just acting confused about what's happening on his face. You know, like what is going on here? The second and only other time I have seen him cry was 15 years later, which happens to be two months ago when we dropped off our daughter, Quinn, to college. And so we were there and we were moving her in and we were all fine. We were fine, you guys. I was doing what all parents do and just staying in my denial. Hello? And then we decided we're going to gather in front of her door and we're going to huddle up and we're going to pray for her. And then Chris lost it and then we all lost it. I want you to think about you. How do you 
express sadness. It doesn't really matter if you cry really easily or maybe you can't even remember the last time that you cried. The kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here is less about the tears. It is more about your willingness to go to a sad place, an uncomfortable place, and sit there for a while. And just getting really specific about what we're talking about today is we think about mourning in terms of what Jesus was mourning. Remember, he looked out over the city and he wept because they missed the redemptive work that he came to do. So instead of hope and freedom and forgiveness, they were experiencing division and disbelief. And so for us, where do we see relationships and circumstances where Jesus is being missed. If his work on the cross was to bring redemption and reconciliation, where do we see in our lives division and destruction and basically things being not as they should be? For some of you, this might be on a very personal level, like in a relationship, in your family. Maybe there's been some kind of a, a rift or, or a relationship has dissolved there. Maybe it's on a larger scale where you see it in your city, in your school, in your community. Where are the things that are not as they could be because Jesus is not in the picture? Maybe it's in certain categories in our world like where you see poverty or where you see children who are disadvantaged or where you see someone who is marginalized or, or discriminated against. And the question is, have you allowed yourself to see it and then to actually mourn it? Have you recognized that there is something that is so sad about a world that is so broken and so far from God's best plan for us? What would it look like for you to enter into that sadness like Jesus did? But just a warning, full disclosure, this is going to require you to step out of the comfortable faith that comes really easy for us. It means us saying goodbye to the complacency that we talked about. Do you know that it's very normal to lose your appetite when you're really emotional? Uh, people lose their appetites when they're really stressed or when there's a lot of emotion going on. But when you cry... You are relieving that stress a little bit. You're letting go of some of those emotions. And as, as our bodies relax after crying, you know what happens? We get hungry. Our appetite comes back. Our bodies just feel better after we cry. And being hungry is one of the ways that our body is trying to refuel itself after putting out what it is put out. And I bring this up because there's this really interesting link in the Beatitudes where Jesus talks about blessed are those who mourn. Because just two thoughts later in verse 6, he says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, if we allow ourselves to mourn in response to things in our world that are not as they could be, what comes out of that is a new hunger to make things right, to be out of our comfort zone and step into the places where things are not as they could be, spaces that need Jesus' redemptive work. I know every one of us 
can think of a relationship or a family that we know or, or an issue or a group of people that need Jesus to come in and set things right, to realign their circumstance with God's character, with God's hope for the world. What we're doing in our time is identifying two things that we see Jesus do and that we hear him teach that we can apply to our own tendency toward complacency. And the first one is that we are choosing to mourn when we see realities that don't line up with God's redemptive work in the world. And the second one that it leads to is that we are working to make it right when we see realities that don't line up with God's redemptive work in the world. We're taking action to make a difference in the areas that have prompted us to mourn. Shortly after Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he does something that seems very out of character for him. But, but in actuality, it is, it is a picture of this hunger and thirst for righteousness that we're talking about. In Luke 19, 45, now this is after the part where he comes and he looks over the city and he weeps and he says those things. It says, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those that were selling. It is written, he says to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay, this is the same account that we read in other gospels where it says that he made a whip out of a cord and he's flinging it around in the temple and he's turning over the tables and money is scattering and he's driving them out. There's a social media platform called Reddit and it has a subreddit called Public Freakout. Public freakout. And this is made up of just video after video of people freaking out in public. Hence the highly creative name, public freakout. This is like fights in coffee shops. This is terrible speeches in the middle of Walmart. Uh, this is angry Karens, like being Karens, you know. Which, by the way, my middle name is Karen, like literally. And I really wish it was a different name there, but that's a different topic. So if, you know, this is this subreddit. Now, if Jesus did his temple public freakout today, it would definitely make it on this subreddit. It would probably go viral. That's, that's the magnitude of how much was happening there. Now, in Luke's account, though, it's a little bit different, and we don't get all the picture of him doing all that stuff, but here's what he says. He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You have made it into a den of robbers. This is supposed to be a place where people connect with God. You have made it a place where you're interrupting people who are trying to connect with God, and you're taking advantage of them. It was supposed to be this and instead, it's this. And Jesus is hungry to put things right. He sees a problem, and he wants to set it right. You might say that he is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Not to have it, because he is it, but to see it be a reality in this world that is so far from that picture most of the time. Jesus was bringing righteousness to a world that needed it. And what I hope that we could do in our own lives is recognize these same places in our world and, and be moved to take action, to change a trajectory toward righteousness, toward being more aligned with God's goodness and his kindness and his equity 
and his love. And if we're willing to notice those things and then to grieve them, to mourn the way things could be, and let that mourning lead us to be hungry to make things right, then I think we are following in the actions of Jesus and in the words of Jesus when he says, blessed are those who mourn and blessed are you who hunger for righteousness. A few weeks ago, I was heading to my car after church and I saw a couple that I hadn't seen or talked to in a while and so I thought I'd stop and say hi. And and this couple's been at Crosswinds for a real long time. Their adult children go here. They're, They're my age and their grandkids go here. And these are the kind of people that, like, they just make you smile. You know, do you have those people in your life? Like, you just like to be around them. They drive this bright red Volkswagen bug. So, like, I try to find them when I'm out. I ran into them once on the road. Not ran in, but, you know, saw them. And I was like, there they are. She, once in a while, will send me a text just out of nowhere, just like, I'm praying for you. Just encouragement. You know, so much joy. And so I went up to them, and I, and I asked them, how are you doing? What are you guys doing today? And they proceeded to tell me that they were going to a friend's house who was in hospice care. And they'd been going over every day or just as often as they could to help, you know, just to do what's needed around the house, to, to give the husband who's been taking care of her just a chance to rest, just do whatever they can for her and them. And I was thinking about them this week as I wrote this message and how at first they had to mourn, right? The sadness of hearing that their friend was dying, that her life was not going to be as long as it could have been, that her body is not working like it should. In other words, things are not as they could be. And so they mourned. I'm sure they shed tears. But then they took action. They stepped out of their own comfort zone to step into this situation and do whatever they could to bring God's presence there. And they brought comfort and peace and kindness, knowing that it wouldn't change the outcome, but it would certainly change their friend and their their friend's husband's experience of God during this season in their life. They mourned and then they hungered for righteousness. Do you see that? One description of righteousness that I read this week was this. It is the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards. We're going to put that up here. It is the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards. You know, typically when we hear the word righteous, we think of it as being holy, right? Or without blame or even even sinless. We think of that being God's standards. But this bigger sense of righteousness is to be living according to what is right. As people who follow Jesus, living according to what is right is living according to what Jesus valued. Things like goodness and love and reconciliation and equity. When George Floyd was murdered, mixed in with all of the reactions, there was a a sadness that we felt. There was a sense of grief that asks, why is this like this? Why is this still like this? And for some, that mourning turned into action. It turned into a hunger 
for righteousness, action that worked to do what is in agreement with God's standards. One of the elders here at Crosswinds, for example, she joined with some other people that she knew, and she launched an organization called the Flourish Collective, and it is helping people learn to be allies, and it is giving financially to further equity, and very practically, it is teaching people to live out justice in their everyday lives. This is mourning that turned to action. This is living like Jesus did. Instead of settling for the forgery of a comfortable faith. The passage that we read about where Jesus enters in Jerusalem, uh, it's, it's recorded in all four Gospels, but each one is a little bit different, right? Because they have their different perspective. They have a different audience that they're trying to reach. And in Luke's version, that's the one that we've been in, he mentions something that none of the rest of them do. At first, let's look at what he says that they all say. This is in verse 37. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the celebration that we, we talked about. But then this is what Luke writes. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, he's kind of like, hey, Pharisees, even the rocks are getting what's happening more than you're getting what's happening. I, I don't think they use the word burn in the first century, but this is definitely like a first century burn, right? You feel it there? And so what I noticed, though, what I want you to notice is underneath that, just how blind the religious leaders were, that they are not seeing the true work of redemption that Jesus was bringing, that he came to defeat death and sin and evil, and they are not seeing it at all. Because see, these leaders were very comfortable in their faith, in their religion. They liked how it was, it worked for them, they were very satisfied, and they chose complacency over joining God's work in the world. They chose to turn a blind eye instead of seeing all the things that weren't working. In your life, you are settling for a forgery if you think that comfortable faith is the goal. Instead of what Jesus so clearly shows us that there are many many things wrong in this world that we need to pay attention to. And if we make room to feel sadness over these things, then what our faith will do is it will lead us to take action. Now, I know that can feel overwhelming, right? It can feel like, oh, great, I'm supposed to change the whole world. So let's just bring it down in our last couple of minutes. Let's just bring it down to a situational level. Where in your life is there a, a relationship or, or a family or, or a person or a group of people that is not experiencing all that God has for them? And how can you join in with them so that they don't miss Jesus? You know, maybe there's a family at your kid's school who has experienced a loss. What would it be to join them in that grief, to come alongside Maybe in your line of work, every day you see sexism or racism or ageism. This is not how it was supposed to be. 
What can you do to change things, to change the directory toward what is an agreement with God? Maybe some of you, as you're learning about some of the the organizations that we partner with, like Sleep in Heavenly Peace, or Our Goodness Village, or Foster the City, or or CityServe, you've been maybe turning a blind eye instead of looking and being willing to be hungry to point people to Jesus. Where in the world would make you sad if you let it? And how can that catalyze you toward justice? to recognize your hunger to make things right. You know, we talk here at Crosswinds a lot about wrestling. Like, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm just going to give you the problem or the question. And you're invited to, to wrestle and kind of be, be listening to the Holy Spirit. And my guess is that the Holy Spirit is bringing up something in you that, that, that it wants you to pay attention to. And so I'm going to trust that, that the Spirit is moving that, that it's making a place for you to mourn and to hunger for righteousness. And my hope is to send you out this week to, to sit in that, to wrestle in that, to find your answer to what it is to mourn and what it is to hunger. Would you stand with me? You know, a few thousand years ago, Jesus looked over a city and he mourned that they missed the redemption that he brought. May we be people who not only don't miss it, but we don't let anyone around us miss it either. Let me pray. Jesus, we are thankful for this picture of you, your heart, your hunger. God, we know that we contribute to the ways in this world that are not according to your redemption, that are not according to your perfect plan. And so we ask that you would reveal those. God, give us courage to look closely at the places even when they make us sad. And give us direction to know how we can step in to align things with all that we know that you are. Go with us. Speak loud and clear. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here today.